0: Well, good morning, everyone. There was actually a misprint in the, uh, in the bulletin there, Rindy. I'm sorry that <laughs> I didn't spot it. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was actually supposed to be Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. So let me, I'll just read that. Um, sorry, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Uh, when the fullness have, of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So uh, last week, Drew started off a uh, series uh, called Christmas, uh, Simple Christmas, and we're really looking at what does it look like to celebrate Christmas in the way that Jesus might celebrate it. I think because it's it's always important to ask the birthday boy what he thinks, right? Uh, but how would Jesus want his coming to earth celebrated? And honestly, I almost kind of cringe to ask that question, because like so many things at Christmas, even that question has become a cliche. Uh, and it's, it's, it's become the schmaltziest time of the year. <laughs> um, and I think it'd be really easy to give um, just a cliched, you know, uh, a Christmas movie style kind of answer to that question, and that's not what we want to do. But my goal today is not to unearth some new shocking truth that you've never heard about Christmas before, because that's probably not possible, but it's really to remind us of the simple things, the essential things about Christmas. And so that's why I read that verse in in Galatians 4, um, because it touches on what Drew looked at last week, that one of the core aspects of Christmas, of course, is giving. And uh, that verse talks about God in the, the, the right moment, when the time was ripe, in the fullness of time, God gave his Son so that we could also become sons of God. And we all know uh, every time December rolls around, uh, the whole country goes crazy with shopping and and, uh, buying all sorts of gifts, and huge masses of money are spent in the retail sector uh, at this time of year. But... Like Drew showed last week, there's a big difference between spending and generosity. The truest gifts are the gifts that are given to those that truly need it and who could never pay you back. Generosity is sacrificially giving with no expectation of return. And so that's why it's at the heart of Christmas, um, because... Christmas is the celebration of God giving us an unimaginable gift, a gift that's so inconceivably big, if you even try and wrap your head around it for a second, it's just completely overwhelming, that God would give us the gift of himself, God the Son, so that we could become sons of God, that we could be adopted into God's family to receive the inheritance of a son of God receiving the inheritance of a son of God. And so, what does that mean? That means a lot of things, but one of the simplest rights of a son is a son has unlimited access to the father. A son has the the right to the father's time, to the father's attention, the father's presence. And so God brought his presence to earth to make us sons who could enjoy his presence eternally. And so Christmas is all about generosity. Christmas shows us, despite the the mental image that the vast majority of people, even Christians, have about God, that God is not a stingy, miserly, heavenly Scrooge who is... Withholding his blessings and his gifts and just meeting them out slightly when you, when, you, when you have a good day and you deserve it. But God is recklessly generous. He gives, he gives us gifts that we could never possibly deserve. And he gives us the gift of the greatest possible thing, which is himself. The perfect love of a perfect God eternally. And he does it not out of obligation, because we've offered the right sacrifices or done the right religious duties, but he does it gladly, joyfully, as a gift. And so that's why the coming of Jesus, it shows us the joyous generosity of God, and that is at the heart of what giving at Christmas is all about. So how can we best reflect that image of God, that generous God that we see, how can we best reflect that image as we celebrate Christmas this year? And my answer is going to be by being present and investing our time in what matters most. And so uh, that's what we had, that reading from Ephesians 5 that, that speaks about this, and uh, verse 14 says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. Now, when I read this, it made me think of uh, what's the difference between being asleep and being awake? Because uh, when you're asleep, we, we even have that phrase, dead to the world. When you're asleep, your body is in one place, but your Imagination, your mind, uh, is in a dream world. (laughs) Your body's in one place, but you're not present. You're disconnected from your surroundings. So being being awake versus being asleep, being awake means you're present, not only in your body, but in your mind and your heart. And it means awareness. When you're awake versus being asleep, you're able to see, you're able to enjoy, um, respond to the things around you. And so, awake, oh sleeper, we can go through uh, the Christmas season, you can go through all of life, actually, asleep. Just blind, uh, just absent from everything around you, detached, unaware of your surroundings. And it's the difference between attending and being present. Attending is as simple as putting your body in a physical place. <laughs> but being present takes intention. It takes intentionality. So some people, it, it, we all do this at different times, but some people detach, they withhold that presence. Even if they're attending, they withhold their presence because uh, it's, it's almost a defense mechanism. If you don't give yourself uh, to anyone, then no one can hurt you. If you don't uh, uh, invest yourself in something, then it can't take anything from you. And so it's, it's, it can be a wall that we put up to stop from getting hurt. But for other people, um, we're so concerned about what's going to happen next wherever we're going to next, whatever we're going to do tomorrow, whatever we're planning to, the next place that we're moving, the next thing that we're going to be doing, that we're so consumed with the future that we can't actually be present where we are. And sometimes I catch myself doing that, just kind of living my whole waking life in anxious kind of preparation for what's coming. Um... That was one of the reasons I, I didn't particularly like being an uh, English teacher for a little while that I did it, because I, was so, I, was, I felt like I was always preparing the next class. So much, that uh, you know, when it came to actually giving the classes, uh, it, it was I wasn't really there. I wasn't really able to focus. But when you live in the future like that, it's actually a lot like being asleep, because you're trying to live in a world that doesn't exist yet. It may never exist. Um, we don't know what the future holds, so it's, it's, it's impossible to live in the future. But other people, um, they're, uh, uh, they're attending the present, but they're living in the past. Some of us give all our emotional energy, all our mental energy to some past hurt that we've experienced or some cherished memory that's now lost that, we can't, that we're, we're constantly trying to recover. And so we end up living more in the past looking backwards. But whether you try and live in the, in the past or whether you try and live in the future, it robs you of the present. Because the present's the only time that we actually have. You can't live in the past, you can't live in the future. We only live in in this continual present. (laughs) And so when you try and live in the other ones, you're you're robbed of the only time you actually have. And so you end up, if you live in the past or you live in the future, you end up paralyzed in the present. Because we're only able to actually act now. We can't act tomorrow. We can only act when tomorrow is now. (laughs) So to be alive, to be truly awake, we learn from the past, we prepare for the future, but we have to live, we have to be present in the present. And so I love the phrase, I I think it was Karl Barth who said this, but it was, um, wherever you are, be fully there. Be where you are. Um, and I think the problem, the reason, one of the reasons why we find it hard to live in the present is that our, our view of time has, has been uh, distorted. So if I were to ask you, um, who, who feels like their life is pretty busy? Yeah? I'd say a majority of people. Uh, how many would say your life's not too busy at the moment? A few people, okay? Uh, uh, and honestly, how many of you wish you were maybe a bit busier because you don't really feel like you're doing anything valuable, maybe? Okay, a few hands, a few honest hands up. <laughs> um, our society, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're looking for something to make you busy, sign up for the ROTA. That wasn't a plug. Uh, <laughs> um, we as a society we're, were obsessed with time in a way that people in previous ages would have found very curious. There's a moment in the, the um, Wonder Woman movie uh, where the, the character, uh, the Chris Pratt it's Chris Pratt, right? He pulls out his watch, and she's like, what's that? And he says, oh, we have to go. And she says, you let that little thing on your, on your wrist tell you what to do? <laughs> and it, it's interesting, and I think even in a lot of cultures today, they look at um, the West as just controlled by the sense of time. Um, and I, I would even say busyness it's gone so far that busyness has almost become a virtue in our society. And so, and, and I can, I, you know, any sermon that I preach, I preach to me first. Uh, and I know that if I'm busy, I might feel tired, I might feel worn down, but I feel good about myself. <laughs> uh, if you're busy, um, we think, oh, I must be accomplishing things. Uh, I must be very important. I mean, just look at my schedule. All these people that want to see me and talk to me. And, um, and so we end up using our busyness almost as a status symbol. Oh, no, I'm far too busy to do that. I couldn't possibly go to your engagement because I'm just far too busy. Um, it, uh, so much so that the, the richest kind of uh, CEOs and Silicon Valley people, the new status symbol is is bragging about how much sleep you get because you're so rich you can sleep. <laughs> um, but the opposite, if you're not busy, a lot of times we begin to feel like we're just wasting our time or we must not be very important or start to feel guilty that we're, we must not be doing everything we could be doing. And so there's, there's this kind of idol of busyness that we've set up um, and I think you especially see that at Christmas. We're all busy with our plans and preparations and shopping and cooking and events and carols and family gatherings and concerts. And, uh, and we feel that for some reason we should be busy. And something must be wrong if we're not. And so one of the, one of the outcomes of that is I think our society, we're, we're more stressed out than, than ever before. We're all fighting to be busy, 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 um, but we end up being more stressed out. Um, and so Christmas, a lot of people, Shock, don't like Christmas uh, because it's a very stressful time. Trev loves Christmas, of course, <laughs> but uh, he's the exception. Uh, <laughs> um it's become a a very stressful time emotionally, physically for a lot of people. And I think uh, one of the ways that this filters out into the culture is that that busyness and hurriedness are one of the the main themes of Christmas movies. You think of most Christmas movies, there's always some race against the clock. How is Santa going to deliver the toys on time? You know, He needs to recruit a a a red nosed reindeer, or um, you know, how is Dad gonna find that that one toy that everyone wants before it's sold out? Or um, you know, how is the Grinch gonna learn to care in time so the children of Whoville can wake up to their toys? There's all the it's it's a race against the clock in all these movies. Why is this? Um, Why do we have this obsession? with with busyness. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, I think this is another manifestation of our deep-seated belief that our value is measured by what we do. Um, Just the other day, I was sharing with our our home group, um, God's been speaking to me about this, actually, through our dog, Aston. Aston. This this is Aston, our our Hungarian Vizsla puppy. Um, He's he's bigger than that now, but uh, soon after we we got him, uh, you know, we were doing all the work of house training and uh, taking care of him. It 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 struck me uh, because I'm spending a lot of. It's very intensive when you have a a little puppy, Uh, and it struck me that his entire life consists of eating. Excreting, sleeping, and chewing. That is the full picture of his activities. And he's completely satisfied with that. He's, you know, you walk in the door, and he is absolutely overjoyed just with life. <laughs> and it was, it was strange, you know, um, it was a strange thought to me that as far as he's concerned, even if we take him and take him to shows and exhibitions and do all sorts of training, as far as he concerned, he's concerned, he will never have a higher purpose in life than simply being a dog, simply being what he is. And yet, Aston's life is glorifying to God. Aston's life is fully in line with God's purposes for him. Aston is pleasing to God <laughs> simply by being who he was made to be. And so I had this you know, theological revelation through my dog. Um, and you know, it seems funny, but it really did make me stop and, and think, why am I so obsessed with making something of myself? Why am I so concerned with doing something with my life? Why am I anxious all the time about am I am I doing all that I should be doing? Am I in the right place? Am I doing the right things? Um, why am I not content simply being who I am in God, resting in His love? And that's not to say that God didn't make us with, with, um, with things to do, with purposes to, to care and cultivate the, the, the creation. But that's not our source of value. That's not our source of worth. God loves us and takes joy in us long before we can ever do anything valuable, useful. In exactly the same way as uh, you know, uh, Selena and I, if you haven't heard, are expecting a baby. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to June, the due date. Um, but, you know, God loves us long before we can do anything useful, just like a father takes joy in their baby, you know, newborn baby, who by all measures of usefulness, is an absolute zero. <laughs> We're less than a zero. <laughs> and yet there's, there is an a absolute, unconditional love and joy in that child. And so maybe part of the reason we, I, make ourselves so busy um, is to take our minds off the fact that we're not sure if we're really loved. We're not sure if we're really valued for who we are. And so that busyness can easily become a coping mechanism. Uh, it can become uh, this, this addiction that we use to escape the, those thoughts, to escape those, those fears. And we try and prove ourselves by everything that we're doing, everything we're accomplishing. We use busyness to try uh, to, to uh, avoid hard situations or hard people or, or from uh, our own character issues. And we, we, we mask it by telling ourselves, well, I, I must do all these things. There's expectations on me. Uh, people are depending on me. Uh, or you can spiritualize it and say, well, it's all for God. I'm doing it all for the kingdom. Um, when in reality... We're doing all sorts of things for God, while neglecting to be with God. And so, it, it boils down to: if if we think our purpose is production, then you're always on the clock, and relationships, in that case, become a hindrance. But if your purpose is relationship, then the clock ceases to be your master. Because relationships can't be measured in, in, in seconds and minutes and hours and days. Relationships are measured by love. And so I want to turn to that, that, uh, what we read in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. Oh, yeah, we, uh, it, it, verse 16, which says, uh, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time. And that word that's translated uh, make the best use, um, in other places uh, where it's used, it, it, it's uh, to redeem. It's actually a, a, a marketplace term uh, that meant Making, making an investment, making the absolute best um, of the money that you have. And it makes me think, why do we use the language of currency when we talk about time, at least in English? Uh, we don't just uh, 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 have time, we, we spend time. We invest time. Uh, I think it's because time is a resource. Just like money, just like goods, time is a currency. It's a limited resource. In fact, it's 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 you could say it's the our most valuable resource because there's always more money out there. You can always make more money, but you can't create more time. Once you spend it, it's gone. And um, the ancient Greek had two words for time: uh, Chronos and Kairos. And Chronos meant, you know, uh, clock time—minutes, seconds, hours. Um, but Kairos, which is the word that it uses here, make the best use of the Kairos. Um, kairos time was a different view, a different perspective on time, and it meant the the. The moment of opportunity. Kairos talks about a window of opportunity, a season that's there for a moment, and it's gone the next. It's a, uh, it's a moment, it's a day that needs to be seized. And so, clock time, chronos uh, time, and kairos time, they're both limited Uh, But kairos is that moment of opportunity that we have to grab. That's the idea behind it. And so what this verse is saying is that we live in a kairos moment. Even if we don't feel like it, God's put us in a specific place, in a specific time, for specific purposes. And so it's not about uh, just pr- shaping your whole life about you know, what I'm going to do when I get that next job, when I move to that next city, when I get to that next place in my love life that I want to get to. It's he's put you in a time right now that he want, he's giving you opportunities that you need to seize. And so we are here in a Kairos moment. How do you invest that most valuable resource that we have? Because there's millions of things in that marketplace that are are demanding our attention to spend our time on them, to invest our time on them. So how do we wisely decide what to spend our time on, that that opportune moment? And it makes me think, what's the difference between urgent and important? Because they're not the same thing. Um, urgent is something that demands your immediate attention. It, it's those tasks in your life that, that, that shout, now, you must do it now, 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 get it done. Uh, urgent things, they put you in a, in a kind of in a reactive mode. They put you in a defensive mode where you're you're just dealing with things, you're getting them out of the way, you're hurriedly uh, just focused on them because they're demanding you. Important, I would say, means something that contributes to your long-term, your mission, your your values, your your health. Um, When you focus on something that's important, your attitude, the way you go about it is very different. You operate responsively, you operate calmly, you operate openly um, and sometimes sometimes there is an overlap. sometimes important things become urgent um, but typically they're not. typically, the most important things aren't really urgent at all um, there I might you know you might have some little ailment that You can carry on, you can carry on with your your daily life. It's not particularly urgent. You don't have to deal with it now before you do things. But it's important because if you leave it, over time it gets worse and worse and worse and worse until it does become urgent, and you must do it. Um, But urgent things will tell you they're important, but most of the time they're lying. That email that says, high priority, that says, answer me now, actually, if you don't answer it right now, in, the, in 99% of the cases, the world will not fall apart. <laughs> um, it's very easy to become a slave to the urgent. It's very easy to live in the tyranny of the urgent. Um. And it is a tyranny because it feels like this relentless onslaught uh, of of just demands after demands after demands. Um, So my question is, how do we live for what's important versus for what's merely urgent? And in our our home group, we've been following this course called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, which I I highly recommend. Um, And uh, it's spoken to me a lot about the answer, I think, to this question. And I think the answer is finding and living in the rhythm of life that we see modeled in Jesus. The rhythm of life that we see modeled in Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, um, you think of all the ways that you would describe Jesus. I would think one of the last ways, or not at all, would be busy. Um... You wouldn't look at Jesus and describe him as busy. He wasn't ever in a hurry. He was certainly active. He did lots of things. He went lots of places. But you never see Jesus rushing around like a headless chicken, <laughs> trying to get everything done. Jesus had a rhythm to life. We see him traveling, we see him working, we see him serving, but we also see him resting. Reclining at the table. We see him feasting with his his friends, with his family. We see him celebrating holidays. We see him taking time daily in solitude with God. There's a balance to Jesus' life um, that I find really attractive. Um, Now, our our society, we have a concept of time off, Um, we have a concept of relaxation. But again, when I look at Jesus, those terms don't, they don't really sit right. I don't feel like Jesus took time off, or I don't feel like Jesus relaxed, even though he he rested and he does all those things. So what's the difference? Um, I think when we talk about time off and relaxing, we're usually talking about disconnecting, unplugging, maybe escaping. But I wouldn't say that describes what Jesus is doing at any point in the Gospels. And I think what we're seeing is the difference between time off and rest. Two things that we often equate but are actually very different. Um, Time off is about restoring your strength to be able to work more the next day. Relaxation is about getting your mind off things for a while so that you can go back and focus better when it's time to work again. But um, in in Genesis, in the creation account, it says God rested. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Was he tired and needed to restore his strength? He just needed a bit of time off. (laughs) Was he stressed out and needed to unwind a little bit before he could carry on focusing on creation? God stopped working, the answer is no, by the way, Um, God stopped working and rested, not because he was tired or stressed out, but because, uh, so that he could delight in his work, in the things that he'd made, so that he could contemplate the creation, and he looked at it and said, it is very good. God enjoyed what he'd made. His rest was in order to delight. Now, if it's true, as we seem to think, that life is all about being productive, it's all about productivity, then what that means is rest becomes a luxury. And we feel guilty when we rest. At least I do sometimes. Um... um, But if it's true, as God says, that life is all about relationship, it means rest is not a luxury, it's a necessity. And it's a gift that he's given us to enjoy. Um, Jesus said that the Sabbath, the day of rest, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Um, God commanded, actually, Uh, Sabbath rest in the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment is keep the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Um, And why did he command those things? It wasn't just another religious duty to to weigh us down. It was a gift of rest. A gift to help prevent us from making life purely about productivity, I think. And yet even that got twisted into another form of religious productivity. (laughs) Um, So uh, rest is a necessity if life is all about relationship because only when we slow down and rest and take time to delight and contemplate and be with people and the good things around us, that's the only way that we can grow in relationship. And that's why Jesus, when you, when you see him resting, it's not about escaping and disconnecting. In fact, when he's resting, he seems most connected to reality. God designed us with, with uh, a need for rest. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but it's strange to me to think that we spend a third of our lives asleep. 33% of your life, on average, Um, you'll be dead to the world. (laughs) Why in the world would God do that? That doesn't seem very efficient, right? (laughs) Um, You know, Apple can't design a better battery than that, but surely God could. That doesn't need to recharge 33% of the time. Why did God do that? And I think it's God's way, God's little humorous way of reminding us every single night, you are not God you are not God because you need to sleep to carry on tomorrow. I'm the one in charge. <laughs> when you stop and rest from your work, guess what? The world doesn't fall apart. I'm managing quite well without you. <laughs> and so we, we, we expend a lot of effort trying to deny that reality that we're not God and that we need to rest, that we are limited, but eventually that reality wins out. And you if you refuse to rest, eventually you'll be forced to rest, uh, maybe permanently. Uh, but there's a freedom in accepting the reality that we are limited. It's, it, it's a freedom in accepting that not everything rests on us, that the world will not fall apart if we take a pause and enjoy what God's actually given us. It reminds us we're not made primarily for production but for relationship. And so um, it's it's really easy to get pulled into even a a spiritualized churchianity uh, tyranny of the urgent where we feel obligated to give ourselves to every pressing need around us. But look at Jesus. He didn't do that. Jesus didn't speak to every single person. That he could have. He didn't heal every single person in Palestine. Um, Jesus shows us it's okay to accept our human limitations. That is actually what God has um, instituted for us. Jesus says, uh, he said to, to Mary and Martha, there's only one necessary thing, and that is to sit at my feet, to be with me. Abide with me, he said. And so doing things for God is always secondary to being with God. Our doing for God flows out of our being with God because relationship is what it's all about and not achievement. And so that helps us answer that question of how to make the best use of the time. Because okay, in order to make a good investment, you have to know what's the most valuable thing, right? Well, how did Jesus invest his time? And when you look at his life, and you remember Jesus only had three, three years of public ministry. Now imagine, imagine you're Jesus' manager. Okay, Jesus, we're going to organize your schedule. We're going we're gonna to get things together. You know, we're going to get your plan together. Um, If you were Jesus' manager, how would you have organized his time? Maybe you'd have him run for politics. Maybe you'd organize uh, the the biggest possible crowds that you could to hear him speak. You'd encourage him to write as many books as he could, get his thoughts down to pass on. Uh, Maybe you'd get him to focus on the capital cities, the influential nations, um, and those would all seem to be very wise uses of time. Uh, If you're God on earth and you only have three years to touch as many people as possible, right? And yet you look at Jesus and he didn't spend his time in almost any of those ways. Jesus focused on developing people. He didn't run for office or lead a nation. He became a personal teacher to 12 regular guys. He didn't didn't spend most of his time touring as a preacher, speaking in the stadiums of Rome and Athens. Uh, Jesus spent a lot of his time speaking to individuals, to sharing meals with people. He didn't spend his time gaining all the right degrees and credentials and writing influential books, uh, uh, he spent his time teaching, guiding, uh, discipling individual people. And I'm not saying anything against all those things. Um, it's just interesting to me how Jesus emphasized. He didn't, he didn't limit himself to just the influential places. He went even to villages that uh, weren't even on the map, that archaeologists haven't even been able to find because they were so small. Um, and the reason is Jesus knew the importance of relationship. He was all about the love of the Father, and that led him directly to a love for the people. Jesus wasn't a slave to the clock, or the sundial, I guess. Uh, he ruled, Jesus ruled the time. He didn't let the time rule him. He invested that kairos season of three years into the most precious things on earth. And the Bible tells us that after God, the most precious thing is people. That's why the first commandment is love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is very much like it, love people as you love yourself. Because people are the only other thing made in God's image. And so... um, Investing in relationships is always a good use of time. Wherever you are, for however long you were there, invest in relationships. Whether you're here in, in this church, you know, we're, we're very, um, there's people coming and going all the time because of our, our work situations and study and all those things. But I would encourage you, if you're in Prague, you know, a week, a year, 10 years, however long you're in the place that you're in, invest in making friendships, in, in building relationships. Um, not just on the next thing that you're going to be doing. Um, and you, you're probably hearing all this, and you, you might be thinking, as, as I would be, uh, a lot of time I feel like I'm running on empty, though. A lot of time I feel like I don't have the energy, let alone the time, to invest in people Talk with people. Uh, <laughs> um, and I, I, th- I think the thing is, we need to learn what it really means to rest in God. To really rest. To, to have a posture of our lives of resting in God. Because Jesus, um, Jesus got tired, he got hungry. Um, and yet Jesus was always able to connect deeply with people. He always had a fuel, even when he was tired, because he lived his life in the perfect rest of God. He was always able to connect with people because he had the rhythm of life that God instituted, that he gave us. And so we need to learn God's rhythm of life, which Um, is, I think it's summed up in the Bible in that idea of Sabbath. And Sabbath, not as this hard-pressing religious duty and weight of all sorts of rules and regulations and things you can't do, but Sabbath as a beautiful gift. God saying, hey, take a day off and enjoy. (laughs) We need to learn what it means to live in Sabbath rest. And so if you, feel, if you feel a lot of times like you don't have permission to rest, um, God has given you permission. In fact, he commands us to rest, I think because he knows how stubborn we are. <laughs> Take a day off at least once a week, or once a week. Um, and so there's this, you see in the Bible, there's this rhythm of weekly rest, the Sabbath day of the week. There's this rhythm of seasonal rest where God institutes um, uh, holy days, festivals to be celebrated, and even even extended periods. Um, Every seven years, they were let to uh, a year of Sabbath. Um, And so, if you and I aren't resting, it's not just some noble, selfless service to the Lord. It's actually going against his will for us. (laughs) It's easy to spiritualize it that way, but God is telling us, I have created you with this need for rest, and it's a gift for you to enjoy. The Sabbath is made for you, not you for the Sabbath. It's not a religious duty. It's a gift to stop and enjoy God's creation, just as he did on the seventh day. And so I want to leave you with four, this, this is just, I'm not going to go into great detail about this, I'm going to leave you with four simple principles of Sabbath, which are out of that book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, four Sabbath principles to put into practice, which help us see why it's more than just time off. And so Sabbath means stopping, resting, delighting, and contemplating. So first of all, it's stop intentionally ceasing your work-related activities, whether it's paid or unpaid, intentionally saying this is a block of time where I am choosing to lay that aside, to, to stop. And the reason why is it's stopping to recognize that God is on the throne and not me. If I lay down this work, for this set period of time, the world is not going to fall apart. God is going to manage because he is the one really in charge. And so that, that actually, that's, a, that's an act of trust. It's an act of faith. I, it's not easy to leave those things behind because they're, all, they're demanding of us. But if you can treat it like, okay, God, this is hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even have to prepare to be able to do this. But I'm going to do this as an act of trust. And when that phone call comes in, when that email comes in, and I choose not to take it, or I choose not to respond to it for that time, not forever, for that time, I'm trusting you're in control. You're God and not me. Um, so it's stopping. But once you stop, it's about uh, we're called to rest. And so what do, you, what do you do to replace all those work activities? Um. And I think the answer is doing things that delight you, that recharge you, um, that replenish you. So in other words, it's not stop and take a day to finish all the housework, unless you know vacuuming just really fills you up with joy. Uh, so do that. But it's not a day to get the housework done. Uh, it's a day to do things where we have permission to delight in God's gifts. And so that, that takes planning, actually. It takes planning to do nothing. <laughs> it takes discipline to do nothing. Um, but you, that, for you, it's going to be different things for you. But that might mean uh, resting from hurriedness. Maybe that day you plan one thing rather than four things that you're going to do. Uh, it might mean resting from multitasking. It might mean resting from decision making, or from errands, or from your phone. <laughs> so stopping, resting, and then the third thing is when we, when we're resting, delighting, taking joy and pleasure in what God's given us. And that's what we see when God stopped His work, and it says He rested. What did he do next? He delighted in his work. He looked at the creation and said, it is very good. And so, in the same way, we're God's calling us to take time to slow down, pay attention, and enjoy his gifts. Take all of your, your five senses and, and take time to just bring them to life. So, uh, Take time to eat some nice food and enjoy it. Uh, smell it. Taste it. Um, listen to music that you love. Watch uh, films that, that just bring you joy. Um, go to an art museum if you like art or uh, you know, make something with your hands. Um, bring your senses to life to enjoy all the good things that God's given us. And then, Stopping, resting, delighting, and then the last thing is contemplating. Because it's not just another day. The Bible says the Sabbath is holy to the Lord, which means it's set apart for the Lord. As we enjoy his creation, we're called to reflect on God, to be conscious of his presence with us. That as we're enjoying, we're giving thanks to the one who's given us all those things. Um, and so it, it's, it's uh, stopping, resting, delighting, contemplating. If you want to read more about that, there's some great books that I can recommend you. I'm sure the library will have uh, some books that, that they can recommend as well. Um, uh, there's a library stand at the back if you're, um, if you're not aware um, after the service. But those four things, they're going to work out very differently for every person in practice. What's going to look like rest for one person might not be for another person. Um, and the day, the time that you choose for that might be different. For, for most people, it's going to be Sunday. Uh, for other people, it might be Saturday. It might be another day of the week. depends on your particular schedule. But the important thing is God's telling us, take time to rest and stop and delight and contemplate oh, all of my goodness. Um, and so why, why share this at Christmas? Because Christmas, I think, gives us a really good opportunity to put this into practice. Because Christmas, people are already expecting time off. uh, And so you might have, uh, um, you don't have to make quite as many excuses to take a day. Uh, And so I would just encourage you, over Christmas, plan a time. If you can do a full 24 hours, ideal. Um, but plan a specific time to practice Sabbath rest, to rest in the Lord. And that will allow you to give the gift of your presence to the people around you, to be present now in the moment, to invest in the relationships around you this Christmas, and not only in all the activities, but to invest in the thing that is ultimately most important which is our relationships and to practice true rest in the Lord. We're going to move into a time of communion now um, and uh, if you're a, if you're a member here if you're a visitor here and you are a, a, a follower of Jesus we invite you to um, to come take the the uh, the bread and there's, um, there's juice or there's wine in the, in the goblets um, and um, in a moment the, the band will play and we will just come up to the front and, and be served. Um, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 which says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Lord Jesus, at this Christmas time, we want to thank you for the gift of your presence among us, that we celebrate God among us, Emmanuel, um, at Christmas. We'll thank you that your presence among us shows us that healthy Rhythm of life where we don't have to be slaves to the urgent, but we can center our lives around eternal things. Your love, the love um, that you've shown us that we are called to show to the world, to the people around us. So what I pray we, as we come and uh, uh, take communion in remembrance of what you've done for us, Lord, that we would thank you, that we would be aware today of your presence. And as we go and celebrate Christmas this this month, um, Lord, you uh, you would bless us and give us true rest in Jesus' name.